Okay, this is the Bill Cartwright Show with Steve Cohen, our special guest today, um, USF player, uh, great guy, great friend to the to the school, John Borrow. John, great to have you on the show. Great, thank you for asking. Pleased to be here. You know, it's just such an amazing time when you went to school at USF. I'm just really curious, um, kind of how you got there. Uh, now, where did you grow up? Where did you I, go to high school? Okay. I, I live in Marin County now, uh, just north of San Francisco and San Rafael. And I went to high school in Marin County. I went to Redwood High School. And I wasn't a highly recruited guy by any means. Uh, I think uh, Bob, oh, it wasn't even Bob Gaylord. Yeah, he was the freshman coach at the time. Uh, they gave me books <laughs> to come over to uh, USF. But I eventually earned a my full scholarship and everything, but um, uh, Redwood High School, we had a, we were a good Northern California team. Uh, a teammate of mine, Jerry Pirro, also played at Santa Clara. Uh, we had another guy, Scott Troby, who went on and played at Stanford. So we had a, we were a good local team. You know, we didn't have any great state rankings, which I'm not even sure they had in those days, but uh, we had a lot of fun. So um, tell me, now, how did you get to USF? Because I, I think that's really interesting. Well, you know, I, like I said, I wasn't highly recruited. I, I got some letters from Duke and, you know, all those preliminary letters, those kinds of places. Well, Duke's but pretty was, good. Yeah. But Duke <laughs> wasn't that great at that time, if you remember. This, this was the early 70s. Um, oh, God, what was that guy? Vince, uh, Vic Bubbis or something? I can't remember his his name. But anyway, there was, you know, St. Mary, Santa Clara, USF, UOP, um, Hawaii. I had a friend that had played at Hawaii. Those were the schools that were talking to me. And um, my cousin had gone to USF. So I always had that kind of connection. I would go to USF games when I was a kid. So it got down to, you know, really was no, no choice for me. So I wanted to go to USF. And that's where I wanted to be. So give me your first impression. Now you're on campus, just school-wise. What, what was the school like back then? Uh, you know, I was thinking about that earlier. Um, it was, you know, like going in as an athlete. Okay, today athletes, when they're brought on campus, I'm sure they're, they shouldn't be, but they're held to maybe a higher uh, level of esteem or whatever you want to call it. Uh, going to USF those days, I was, it was just one of the guys. Um, you know, I was foremost a student, you know, so I was trying to get my, my, uh, feet wet and understand how to, to navigate through the academic side. And as far as basketball went, it was, uh, you know, working out, um, preseason playing back, playing hoops every day with all, all the guys at that time we had a freshman team, uh, freshmen weren't allowed to play on varsity. So still being freshmen getting to play with the varsity guys was a big thing. Um, so it was just kind of working my way in. But one story I do remember is I lived in the dorms in Phelan Hall and uh, we had um, intramural football. I didn't know any different. So I was out there playing and um, I banged my knee with somebody out there playing uh, intramural football and my knee totally swelled up. And I went, you know, to the point where I couldn't run. Uh, and I remember one day being in the training room and Phil Vukicevic came by. He was the varsity coach at that time. And he says, if I catch you playing intramural football one more time, don't expect to play basketball. You're here to play basketball. 
And that was kind of, you know, focused uh, things for me a little bit on that. But that was an interesting memory I have. Uh, you had such legendary guys on your team, the guys that I really admire. Phil oh, Smith. We, yeah. Uh, Kevin yeah. Rastani. Um, talk about those guys and what they were like back then. I would have loved to have seen it, but but talk about them. Sure. Well, I, was, I, I mentioned to you prior to we started here, uh, Kevin. Kevin was the most highly recruited player. He was, um, again, I don't know the names of the awards, but he was a, the best player in San Francisco at Reardon High. Obviously a, a, a big man, six, a big kid at that time, 6'10". He was the kind of guy that you needed to recruit to build a program around. But Kevin was a big, like I said, a big kid. Uh, he was from San Francisco. And although he had a room, a dorm room on the same floor with us, he was rarely there. He was at home every night. You know, occasionally he'd stop by and eat at the, uh, in the commons there with everybody. But uh, he was just a big kid. Um, the, uh, at that time, and it's probably still the case, you know, St. Ignatius, Reardon, and Sacred Heart, they were big feeders of students into USF. And Kevin was tight with all those guys. So it was just uh, Kevin and his beer drinking buddies. And uh, it took a while for Kevin to kind of integrate himself with everybody. But Kevin was a great guy. Phil and I had known Kevin. We'd played e against each other in, in the summer and, and in some high school games. So had a relationship with him and it, it was all good. Phil, on the other hand, I'd known him from playing uh, against him in high school. Phil was a gangly, geeky guy, you know, very shy, uh, almost introverted. Um, he wasn't a high school star. He had a guy on his team who you, you may know, uh, Robert Taylor. Do you remember Robert Taylor? Yeah. Five foot nine, five ten guard, had a great outside shot. First guy I ever played in high school who started trash talking, you know, hitting jumpers from the outside. And it was all about in your face, in your eye. But Phil was just, uh, you know, about a six foot four, thin, gangly guy. And Phil was a walk on. So he lived at home down there on, uh, in the Fillmore district, I can't remember what street it was down there, but he'd show up occasionally, not, not occasionally, he'd show up in the gym and everybody would go, who's that guy? And all of a sudden, you know, his talent started coming out. Uh, it's like he got a new lease on life or something when he was out of Robert's shadow and just started playing his game and eventually became, you know, one of the greatest players in the history of USF. You had some, an interesting guy on your team. Of course, everybody loves his, his name, Snake Jones. Oh, Snake. <laughs> Snake was classic. <laughs> so Snake was, he was the first national recruit of our guys, of our era that I remember. And that started to set the groundwork for, for you guys to follow through. Um, so we had Kevin. Uh, we had Eric Fernston. Um, we had Phil. So we won the league in 72, and, and we had a good team. Uh coming back Mike Quick was also in there and um, that's when Gaylord started re Bob Gaylord Steve was the coach he started reaching out a little bit more uh, we had been to the NCAA regionals in those days um, who did we play um, we played Long Beach State in the first round in, in 72 they had uh, uh, guys like Ed Ratliff uh, yeah. you know I, I can't remember all those guys but they were good and they beat us. So, um, you know, we, we played a third round game, but we had established ourselves as, as the best team in the WCC for sure. 
And uh, so Gaylord brought in Snake and Snake was North Carolina, you know, country boy, a lot different than our Bay Area kind of guys. And we were all pretty much local Bay Area guys. And in comes Snake, who, man, Snake is the greatest guy. He, he, you know, the city was a little out of his element, you know, he was still trying to figure things out, but he was funny. He was a fun guy to be around and just a great player. You know, he, I still remain in contact with Snake. He's, he's a great guy. So talk about uh, when we were in school, uh, of course, our biggest rival was Santa Clara. Talk about your biggest rival when you were at school. I know uh, that yeah, our coach it was Bob Santa Clara. had no love for yeah. Santa Clara. Yeah, it, it was definitely Santa Clara. Um, you know, and I think that went on probably since the, in the 60s for sure. And it, it may have started when, when USF and Santa Clara were great football programs. Um, so that was there. And I mentioned earlier, USF, uh, excuse me, St. Ignatius, Sacred Heart, Reardon, all the city schools, that's where they, they went for college, Santa Clara or USF. So there was that, rela that relationship and rivalry there to begin with. And then there was, it was just a, you know, just a good old rivalry. Wasn't uncommon at all for fights to break out in the stands. Um, I remember, uh, you know, in those days, the gym was overflowing. It was hot in there and it just took one thing and uh, fights would break out in the stands. And, and we had battles in those games. And you're right, Bob, boy, he wanted to beat Santa Clara more than anything. And um, I remember years later, uh, I can't remember what coach it was that came in that said, oh, yeah, we're going to beat uh, Cal and Stanford. We're going to get on the radar. And some few of our older guys said, well, wait a minute, you're missing our rivalry. You, got, you better beat Santa Clara. Then you got credibility with us. So it was definitely a, a big rivalry there. And you guys won when you were there. <clears throat> you won the conference every year. Yeah. Um, how far did you guys go uh, in those in those three years? What was what was your uh, what was your best tournament appearance? Well, in those days, it was uh, it was maybe a thirty-two team tournament. I think it it got to. And it was still regional. So you stayed in the West. You, we did, you didn't import teams to different regions. So we were always hampered because UCLA was in our region. And they were in the midst of their 88-game winning streak at that time. So I mentioned that first year in 72, uh, we got beat by Long Beach State. Long Beach State was a power in those days. Um, but then the next year in 73, they, UCLA was ranked first, Long Beach State was ranked third, and that was going to be the big game, you know, the, the big uh, weekend game of the, the first weekend of the regionals, those two squaring off, but little old USF, and I won't say, I shouldn't say little, but we, we knocked off uh, Long Beach State, and th that was probably the most memorable game that I ever played. Uh, again, Long Beach State was uh, seven feet, six, eight, six, nine across the front, guy named Nate Stevens was a seven-footer. Uh, Glenn McDonald, who you might have played against yeah. in the Celtics. Uh, Bobby Gross from yeah. uh, Portland. Um, Tarkanian, right? Tarkanian was the coach, yeah. Um, they, were a, they were a big program. Um, and we beat them uh, in the regionals, which were played at UCLA. And um, I remember, Bill, I don't know if you remember the play Bob had uh out of bounds play full court uh out of bounds play you lined up on the box and uh 
the, the two top guys screened down. So the down guy went long for a full court pass. We had Kevin Rastani taking it out, threw it to Phil. I think we were up out by one in that play with maybe 30 seconds or so left. I, I don't remember the exact. But anyway, we practiced that every day, never ran it the whole year until that game, the most crucial time of the season. Kevin wow. threw a perfect lead pass to Phil. Phil laid it in, and we were up three. No three-pointers in, in those days. So that was kind of the game winner for us. But anyway, uh, we won that game and went on to play Walton and uh, UCLA. So it was Walton, Wilkes, David Myers. Uh, it might have been Richard Washington and, and Marcus Johnson coming off the bench. I mean, these guys were loaded. And um, we gave them a good game in the first half. I think we were down one. But they ended up beating us by maybe 10 or so. And so – that was 73. 74 was the same thing. Uh, we played the regionals in Arizona at McHale Pavilion down there. We beat New Mexico the first game and again had to face uh, Walton and all those guys. And uh, the year before they had gone on and they won the championship. This year they beat us, went to the uh, finals and they were beaten by uh, David Thompson and North Carolina State. So I always look at us as, as the second best team in the West Coast on those days. And, you know, we had our share of games. We went and played Kansas. We went and played Providence. Uh, you know, we made some nice trips and, and played some good teams. And we handled all those guys and, and held our own. Uh, you mentioned Duke earlier. Duke came out. We beat them in the Cable Car Classic. So we were a good team. And you don't realize that until you get older. And we get better every year, as you know how that is. But we were seriously, we were a good team in those days. And we had a great coach, as you know, with Bob Gaylord. He led the way. You know, um, of course you guys did. You guys uh, had great teams, uh, legendary players. Um, I want you to talk about some of the lessons as you exit USM that you learn from, from your time there, not only playing basketball, but going to school there, that helped you as you graduated. And now you got to go find a job. So what lessons well, did you learn? <laughs> well, that, that's interesting. There, there's a couple things there. First, you know, the, the overall lessons, it, it's hard work. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't a highly recruited guy. You know, I had to do everything I could. I was happy to be on the team, put it that way. Um, but I worked hard. I earned myself a starting position by the time I was a senior. And what I learned is, is just to always compete. You know, just get out there and uh, work, 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 you know. Uh, that's number one. Also, you got to be prepared to do that stuff. And that's where I look at, at Bob Gaylord and how he got us through. He was pretty amazing because he had the best scouting reports, you know, and, and things where a guy that might not, like me, wasn't as quick, wasn't as tall as, as he maybe should have been. But I understood the game. I always understood where the guy regarding was going to go. You know, I could anticipate their plays and I, I it was all due to the scouting reports we had. And I remember many times where Gaylord would, uh, you know, we'd finish practice at six o'clock or something. And then we'd, uh, we'd move on. We'd go eat dinner. We'd go do whatever we were going to do. Bob was hopping a plane and going down and watching Pepperdine play or going and watching, you know, Santa Clara, whoever it might be. He was scouting and scouting. And I swear that's, that's why we were so good. We knew exactly what those guys were going to do. So, uh, got that out of the, the competition and, and hard work. And really that applies over to your, your academic work too. Um, 
keep being prepared and working hard, studying, right? You know, and, and you could drift a lot of ways in college. You could not pay attention and get lost out there. Or you could really put your work in and say, I'm here for a reason. Uh, I'm here to get an education. And um, I think at that time, you know, it wasn't, athletics weren't quite as big as they are nowadays. So uh, not only were we, were we there to play basketball, and we probably didn't have national championship aspirations, but we were there to get our education. And I know I graduated in four years. John Seitz, who was in our class, graduated in four. Uh, I'm not sure Kevin and Phil graduated, but they both came back and, and got their, uh, their degree. So all four of us in that class, we all graduated. So hard work, compete, be prepared. That's what I'd say. And that, the other thing is, uh, all of a sudden, being on the basketball team and being good, we had a lot of alumni kind of floating around us. You know how that goes. And um, some somewhere along the line, it kicked in that, hey, I'm not going to the NBA or anything like that. I better get to know these these alumni here. So it was good to uh, to get friendly with those guys because I figured they could help me uh, out eventually. And I ended up getting a job with a company called Watson and Meehan. And I think, Bill, in fact, I know you know Walt McCarthy. Remember Walt McCarthy? He yeah. owned the company former USF player. And um, he offered me a job. And that was with uh, Cummins Engine Company. Steve, I don't know if you've heard of Cummins. Bill, I don't know if you have. They're the largest diesel engine manufacturer in the world. And, and Walt owned the local distributorship. So he brought me on there. And I ended up spending 39 years with that company. It evolved in a lot of ways. And I held a lot of different positions within the company. But when I look back, it all starts by, you know, shooting jumpers or something and, and getting on the court there at USF. Like I say, work hard, prepare, always compete and, uh, you know, be friendly to people. And that, that's what I learned. That's how I still try to carry things out. Uh, it seems no. very simple, right? Uh, it is simple. You know, why, why uh, what is it? Keep it simple, stupid, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's the only way to do it. You know, be honest, be straightforward. You know, there's no need to make it too complex or anything like that. Uh, you you come back to a, a lot of the games that I see you at, and it's great to see you. Yeah. Uh, talk about what differences, if there are any, uh, of, of the Dons that you've seen played over the last couple of years. Well, the last couple of years. So let's say when uh, Kyle Smith was the coach at, at that time. and it just seems completely different. Uh, of course, it's almost 50 years too, so you, things got to change. But I look at it now, I mentioned to you, you know, we came to school to USF. We were there as students. That, that's the way I looked at it. We played basketball too, and that was, that was a big part of our lives. But we were also there to be students and to move on and get a job. Now, gosh, I, I think, uh, well, and one other thing is we always integrated with the student body. You know, we always ate, our meals with the student body. I always went to class. I always mingled with everybody in the student body. So I felt part of the whole uh, school. Now, I don't know what those guys do, but I, I get the impression that basketball players are a little bit removed. They're a little bit more elite, more highly recruited guys there. And now their purpose there is to play basketball first and then be a student, not be a student and play basketball. Um, we didn't have any weight training programs. You know, it was, Similar in high school, similar to high school in that you'd go to class and you'd go to the gym and, and play and, and practice. I don't know that those, those guys do that now. They got the weights to do. 
They probably have some kind of nutrition program to be on. Uh, they have a more organized study hall. They have film study probably. There's just a lot more to being an athlete these days than there was in those days. So the biggest difference that I think is I don't think they integrate with the student body and they're, they may not come out and I may be completely wrong here. I don't know if they come out as well-rounded as in, you know, like I keep saying integrated with the whole student body. That's what I see the differences. And then there's the whole game. We can go into that, but that's what I see as a basketball player versus and student now versus then. Well, well, well talk to me about the game that you watch. Oh, you know, it took me a long time to adjust to all the changes in the game. Um, when we played, you know, it, it was pounded into the big man down low. And we had, again, Kevin was 6'10", Snape 6'9", Eric 6'9". So we had big guys and, and that was it. That, you know, we were going down low for the basket. Um, rarely were we firing up jumpers. Um, now it's totally opposite. You know, I, I can't believe how teams will work it around for, you know, 30 seconds and take a, a contested three-pointer with three seconds left on the clock when they could have had a uncontested, you know, five-footer earlier in the clock. You know, you, you just play, play for the three-pointer. It drives me nuts, but that's the way the game is. Um, the other thing we did is, is the fast break. You know, when we played, it was get the rebound, get it out, and go but bring the ball up the middle. You know, you bring the ball up the middle and you have two guys filling lanes. Now I'm, you know, I'm always amazed how they run the fast breaks. It's, you know, kind of bring it up the middle and either keep it and take it to the hoop or pass it out to the, uh, the three point guy over in the corner. You know, it's just a different strategy. Like the point guard, which I played, I mean, you'd come up the court with your head up, kind of, you know, the wing saying, I'm on your right. You know, you knew where those guys are and you're, you're kind of letting it balance. So you had three across, slow down at the top of the key and let your, your wings cut at 45 degree angles to the hoop. And the best case is pass it to the right and somebody goes to that guy and that guy dumps it to the cutter from the left and you get an easy lay-in. If the worst, in a, the worst case, if they're covered, I just pull up from the free throw line and take the shot. Now I think those guys, you know, I, I see it. They got their head down dribbling and, you know, they're not looking up. They're not pushing the ball forward and, uh, you know, and then if they're pushing it forward, the guy's going out for a 25 footer or something. It's just, just the way it is. It's just, it's just changed. So I watch the game and go amazing, you know, but I sure appreciate the way the guys can shoot and man, having a green light like that. Can you imagine that you'd have to be a three point shooter these days? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's a little bit like baseball. Everybody's a home run hitter. Oh, yeah, don't even get me shooter. going there. I know, you know, <laughs> what happened to the single and the sacrifice and all that stuff. Yeah. All of that's, uh, all of that's all over. Um, talk about, um, talk about your health. And well, my situation. health is, is interesting. I think, you know, I've had a heart transplant. And um, so what happened there is, you know, being an athlete, I, I was always aware of my body. And I was always trying to stay in good shape. So uh, I think I played rec league basketball up until I was 45. So I was always playing a couple times a week, going to the gym, finding wherever I could run, playing with guys my age, naturally. Um, and then when I got too old to do that, to play with a stop and starting and stuff, I got into running and ran a lot of the hills around here in Marin and stuff. 
And when I wasn't doing that, I was lifting weights up, eating a healthy diet. That, that was my main thing. And then um, all of a sudden I started putting on weight and stuff and I didn't know what was going on. And I wasn't feeling right. I, I had like, it felt like I had a, a cough and a cold for like six months. And then finally one day I, I woke up and I was like out of control, shivering and um, told my wife, we got to get to the, to the emergency. Something's not right here. And anyway, I go in, they set me up, they give me an EKG and some guy comes and says, hi, I'm Brian. I'm your cardiologist. I'm saying, what? A cardiologist. And he says, you've got congestive heart failure. This was when I was like 54 at the time. And I said, congestive heart failure, that's for old men, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, a lot of old men get it, but anybody can get it. So to make a long story short, is I ended up picking up uh, congestive heart failure, they said from a virus. So I don't know how, how I got this thing. But anyway, congestive heart failure, failure means you, your heart muscle is, um, is weak, essentially, and you're not able to push as much blood out of your system. Like, you're supposed to put, push 55 to 60% of the blood that comes into your heart back out. And I was pushing about uh, 20%, 25%. And so I saw doctors for about six years, gotten better, you know, didn't get worse, put it that way. And so I was holding my own and then, I don't know what happened, but anyway, I just went over the edge. I don't remember exactly the details of that, but basically they said, well, the, the standard cardiologist, standard cardiologist, he said, I, I can't take care of you anymore. I got to send you to a specialist. And I said, you are the specialist. You're the cardiologist, right? And he goes, no, no, I got to send you on. He, he didn't say the word transplant. He said, you can go to UCSF, Stanford, or uh, Cal Pacific in, in San Francisco, Cal Pacific Med Center. So I go over there and I go meet the people and it's the heart transplant group, you might want to say. So that got me on a three-year journey to where I ended up getting a heart transplant. I got a uh, 26-year-old heart when I was 64. So, um, you know, everything came back. I'm, I'm back to normal now. Um, I hiked the hills over here. I get in... Uh, you know, 40 plus miles a week, not necessarily all in the hills, but between walking dogs and just doing stuff. But I definitely get up in the hills hiking at least twice a, a week. And I feel as good as I've ever felt. Um, you know, knock on wood, you know, that everything's going okay. I take a lot of meds. Um, I have pretty close contact with uh, the cardiology team, the post-transplant team, but um, I'm here. Everything is good. So, um, you know, it took a lot of hard work to get there. I'm going to go back to what you asked me initially. Hard work, being prepared, man. I had to study this stuff and understand what I, I needed to do and just always compete in it. You know, I, I could uh, say, no, I don't want to do that. Or I don't, you know, I can't do that. You know, you just got to work at it. And by all that work, it, it got me back to, to normal. So I couldn't be happier and luckier. Thank God. I was just going to ask if you've been in touch with the donor's family and, and also just a period of adjustment, like taking to the transplant. Well, um, I have not been in touch with the donor's family. And the way that works is um, you write a letter uh, if you want, and which I did. And you, you send that through my post-transplant team and it goes through different channels. It's called the United Network of Organ Sharing. And, and they, they're the ones that are the keeper of everything. They, they know all how everybody's interconnected. 
and it goes back down to the donor family. About 50% of the people get responses. I haven't, um, you know, and I, you know, I, that's fine. You know, um, who knows what that family went through? You know, I got the heart. Somebody must've got lungs. Somebody must've got kidneys, livers. So, you know, I can't say I was disappointed. I'm just happy that I have that guy's heart beating in me. And, you know, I'm thankful to, to some, someone out there. I know God is watching over all of us with that. And as far as adjusting to it, you know, what I had to go through for eight months prior to that, it's called an LVAD, a left ventricle assist device. And it's an implanted pump. It runs on batteries. So essentially I was running on batteries for about eight months. Um, and it's a bridge to the transplant. And, and that was kind of tough because you couldn't get it wet, you know, so I could put it in a bag, but I didn't really take a lot of showers. I was having to wash, you know, with a cloth. And I was pretty limited in what I could do. Uh, you know, I, I have to be ultra safe because I had a wire coming out here and I, I carry a bag of batteries. So I wanted to be sure I didn't catch the wire like I did a few times on like a doorknob or something. And I get this big yank and it hurt and it was dangerous. So it was pretty much eight months of uh, not doing a hell of a lot. Uh, and I was too weak to do it anyway. But uh, once the new heart came, I, I popped out and, you know, here we go again. You know, it's the always compete deal. Okay, I can walk a block today. You know, tomorrow I'm walking two blocks. And that's what I keep trying to do. It's Bill, you know, as an athlete, and Steve, I don't know if you're an athlete or not, but you, you know your way around sports, but you're always challenging yourself, right? It's like the always compete thing, you know? So that, that's the way I looked at it. You know, I wear a, a Fitbit and it monitors my uh, heart rate. And I, you know, I know when I get tired and uh, if I get tired, I back off, I drink some water, I have a snack, but otherwise I'm going for it, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, doing the best I can, you know, there's a uh, trying to think what I can't do. Uh, there really isn't anything I can't do. You know, I can't eat raw oysters, can't eat raw, raw foods because of bacteria. You know, I'm subject to my immune system is, compromised through a, a foreign object in there. So I'm on a lot of meds, like I said, a lot of immunosuppressant meds. Um, COVID is a concern. You know, I would always wear a mask around prior to COVID if I was going to be in a group, especially for the first year. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm back to normal. And, you know, hopefully I, I'm, I'm four years out, you know, hopefully I can get 20, 25 years. Don't worry about it. Just stay in the moment, you know. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Hey, John, talk, talk about, um, you know, I've been so fortunate and, you know, I haven't had the health scare that, uh, that, that you had, but, uh, but I think every athlete kind of has their own. Uh, and luckily I've got a great wife and uh, family, uh, six sisters. So talk about your support group through that period of time. That had to be uh, incredible. Yeah. Well, first, you know, I was always healthy, you know, and, and people go, well, what, what's the problem? Congestive heart failure. You're going to need a heart transplant. And they go, you're the healthiest guy I know, you know, what, what happened? And um, so I had a lot of, lot of support. Number one, without my wife, I, I couldn't have got it done. You know, she, all of a sudden uh, I, luckily the company I worked for Cummins had a great disability program. So I was able to stop working 
uh, probably a couple of years before I got the uh, transplant. Uh, and that took a lot of pressure off. But um, yeah, my wife was here to support me. My kids were here to, to support me. Um, all my ex-teammates, those guys, you know, and I, I just had an outpouring of love, you know, it's just uh, almost overwhelming, you might want to say. Um, priests, you know, where I'd go to church, I got to know them, you know, and, and uh, a couple of things like, you know, always stay in the moment. That That is so it's hard to do. It's talked about a lot, but unless you, you know, you got to practice it. Now, this is great. This is great talking to you guys. You know, I'm not worried about what I'm going to do two hours from now. I'm, I'm right here. So I've, I've learned to really stay in the, the moment, uh, be grateful for what I have, all the great friendships. Um, you know, it's just, I just had an unbelievable amount of support, Bill. I, you know, the USF program, everybody. So I'm very fortunate that way. That's I think awesome. um, one thing I was going to say, which is very interesting. It's, it's, I always like the expression that the healthy person has a thousand wishes, the, the sick person has one, right? Yeah. So it makes you more grateful and appreciative for what you have. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and to live in the moment. I think it's a good lesson. And, and, yeah. and I guess what you were saying also, you experienced some of the conditions of coronavirus beforehand, correct? Uh, you know, when I when I look at it that way, that that was the the thing, and I think I'm not sure. Don't they say the coronavirus does attack the heart? Because those. Oh yeah, those, that like, look at that basketball player in Florida. I was going to mention it. Yeah, and that's that's what what I had myocarditis and enlarging of the heart and stuff, and um, yeah, so it was similar to to living like that for a while, where I had to be very conscious, always washing my hands, you know, always carrying around hand sanitizer uh to to you know just be safe so yeah that's why it's not that big of a deal for me right now to wear a mask and stuff i mean i was doing the only thing well i shouldn't say that well i will say that you know the only advantage i could take i figured man i went through all this stuff and had these surgeries and stuff when i when i go to an, on an airplane they'd say if you have a disability you can board first i figured i had a disability i had that's one place where i would still wear a mask if COVID was around is on a plane. So I'd say, hey, I had a heart transplant. I need to board first in so many words. And they'd say, oh yeah, go ahead. So that, that's the only way it plays. I took advantage of anything you might want to say, but yeah, just, just very fortunate for things. So. Hey John, talk real quick about your, your family. You mentioned your wife. Yeah, uh, we've been married uh, 38 years now. Uh, been here in San Rafael for about 35 of them, I believe. Um, my wife's a, a therapist. She went back and got her master's in, uh, I guess you'd call it uh, psychotherapy or something. So um, she's doing great. She, she sees uh, clients probably three or four a day, uh, sees them via Zoom now. So she's really into it. I look at her like, like she's like a, a doctor or attorney or, you know, like uh, I mentioned an athlete studying film to know how to, to, uh, you know, be ready for your opponent. She's always uh, studying to get better. And, and she really likes what she's doing. And I'm sure through that, her clients get a good feel and everything's working out there. So she's doing that, which makes me the house husband. So I shop, I cook, 
I clean, <laughs> I do all those kinds of things. Uh, so I'm happy doing that. And then I have a, a daughter who's 30. She lives down here in Mill Valley and a son who's 33 who lives in Houston. So we're all doing good. Uh, we weren't able to be together for Christmas. Um, my daughter was by and we had a socially distanced masked, you know, little gift exchange and things, but um, all's good, you know? So on the, on the family front, all's good. No grandchildren or anything, um, but that will happen eventually, I think. So yeah, we're doing good. I have a brother who lives in the area. Um, my mom and dad are both gone, but um, you know, like I say, I'm, I'm in a good place with all this stuff. Well, John, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on and, uh, and, and sharing yourself with us. Uh, it was great. Well, and, thanks for thinking of me and, and thanks for having me. Um, not the greatest basketball player, but I sure had a lot of fun over there at USF. And like I say, it, it still goes on. I follow them closely. Um, and they just need a few more pieces in their bill, you know, and, and talk about being motivated. They got Gonzaga in their league. They're going to get their butts kicked real bad or they're going to figure out how to play them. So, um, you know, hopefully they'll figure out how to play them and it'll just get better every year. And Steve, nice meeting you. Nice meeting you. Uh, good luck with everything. And I'll see you around over there, Bill. <laughs>